It's great to get your attention again. It is great to be back worshipping. And uh, some of you might remember the last time I held up one of these. Can anyone remember? Yeah. Way back in the previous series called Transformed Life, we all got given a piece of the puzzle. And uh, my, it's a, in case anyone's still wondering since then, it's a piece of Where's Wally puzzle. Um, not because anyone's a Wally, but just because it was the only puzzle I could find in the charity shop. But the point of me showing you the puzzle piece again is just to remind you that you are part of something bigger. You are part of something bigger than yourself, and you're part of something bigger than this church family, and you're something bigger than new ground. You are part of a global kingdom of God, and you fit in because your faith is in Jesus Christ. And so I just wanted to encourage you with that again. I've still got my piece. I'm not going to criticize anyone if they've lost theirs or thrown it away or eaten it or something. But it's just to remind you, you are part of something bigger. And we're talking about something pretty big today, the, the family of God or church as family. And um, the puzzle pieces on the slide will hopefully keep reminding you of that illustration from some time ago. But I'm going to pray and then we'll get into this series. Father, so grateful again to you, who you, for who you are, the great Father. You're our Father in heaven and it's through your Son we're saved and it's by your Spirit we can pray and see your kingdom come. And we're just so grateful for that again this morning. We pray, would you come and transform our hearts, our lives again? Help us focus on you and speak through this series to us as a family, I pray. Amen. Great. So I'm going to tell you a story. And uh, this is really the first part, first half of my preach is a story. So um, it's, it goes back about two years ago when the theme of church as family was, was starting to be impressed Upon me, and it was just before the pandemic. It was just before uh, we'd sort of had the news drop, uh, just after we'd had the news drop about God rearranging the team here at King's and, and putting me uh, to lead that team. And I was starting to respond to that kind of call, that moment of recognition that, ah, oh, right, you're actually asking me to do this. And I started to think and dream and pray, and, uh, and then the pandemic hit, and uh, that all got put on the back burner for some time because we had to work out how to do church via video, then we had to work out how to do church online, and then we had to stream, and then we built a studio, and then Paul and I plugged in more things than I can possibly remember or imagine doing ever again, and we did church online for a period, and that sort of put my dreaming thinking back burner for some time, and that was a mercy in God because it gave him time to work on me and my character, and it gave uh, him time to put his ideas and dreams into my heart. And about March 2021, so about a year later, I remember talking to Sophie at home on our, on our sofa. And uh, I, it's funny, it's one of those moments where you actually remember how you were sat. I was like a Roman. I was just sat on my sofa like that. And I, I remember thinking, because we'd been talking and then praying about, uh, what, God, what do you want King's Church to look like? What, what's it, what is it your plan? Like, what do you want to do? And I sat there, and I just remember saying it out loud. What if we just had a massive shift and culture shift? What if we just changed everything, God? What if this? What if that? And as I started saying it out loud, goosebumps just ran all up over my arms. And I, I just sensed the Holy Spirit, and I thought, oh, no, you're really asking me to do this. <laughs> this, is really, this is really something, then. And of course, as you do with God, you, you push it back and forth and you dialogue with him. And, and sometimes then you think, oh, no, that sofa thing didn't happen and you're in denial for a bit. But, but I couldn't get away from this fact that God said, family, church as family. 
And I started to think, well, what if when we came back from the pandemic, we just became an even tighter knit family? What if we just became super integrated by the Spirit? And so these thoughts and prayers carried on from March through to the summer. And I had uh, the summer off uh, on sabbatical, which was great fun and uh, very relaxing. And uh, it was on the sabbatical that God really pinpointed it to me again. When uh, we were there um, at our flat, and I'd had lots of plans and ideas and things I wanted to do, people to see, places to go. And uh, I had the NHS COVID app on my phone, and I got pinged. I got pinged by the app, and it said, you have to stay indoors uh, for the next seven days because you might have been in contact with someone who has COVID. And of course, it wasn't a legal obligation at the time, but you had that moral weight on your shoulders. You were like, what am I going to do here? Am I going to sacrifice my life and, in that sense and, and not go out and potentially spread this? Or am I going to bin all that and just do what I want? And I, I, I got really frustrated because I had all these plans for sabbatical. I really wanted to go and do this and that and read that and speak to that person. And I got this ping and I, I obeyed it. You'll be pleased to know. I stayed indoors and I, got really, I did get really frustrated and angry to start with because I was like, God, you've ruined all my plans. That wasn't, this isn't what I want to do on sabbatical. I wanted to eat ice cream and walk and eat pizza and watch football and things like that. And anyway, I, I, was, I was angry that time around. And he stopped me in my tracks. He said, look, listen, you've got to stop. You've got to stop here and think about this. I thought, all right, yeah, okay. You're a 33-year-old man. You've been made to stay at home with your family, your wife and your two children. What are you complaining about? This is not normal for someone in this stage of life to not have to go and work all day and, and work hard and come back. And, and I, I took that, I heard him. I was like, okay, that's what you're saying to me. I get it. And I, you know, humbled myself. Oh, sorry, uh, you know, got that. And then I kind of got over it. Sabbatical carried on. And then August, I got pinged again. So as if to ram home the point, it was like God was saying, no, really, you really need to get that time spent as a family together is really, really important. And you ought to consider this very carefully when it comes to King's Church and the Sunday morning. So in August of the sabbatical, I started to develop more questions for God around this theme of church's family. And um, I wanted to know from God, what would it sound like? What would it feel like? What would it look like? Um, to, to have this working on the ground. And so I saw him more and more, and I began to investigate more and more what other churches do and how they do things differently. And I heard about a church in Sheffield through Tim. Um, it's actually run by Tim's brother, Dan. And I went to visit the church in Sheffield to see what they do and how they do things differently to typical Christian subculture. And um, I went to a service uh, towards the end of August, and um, it was in an old synagogue. So it's in a really, really big hall with a nice carpeted floor. And they had a time of worship, and they had a video talk. And they all seemed, apart from being spread out due to COVID, they all seemed pretty comfortable and, and like, okay, this is fairly steady so far. And uh, I, I was expecting uh, for a moment to break in the service and children to go out and so on, but it never came. They, they stayed, the children stayed in, everyone stayed in together. And then the person on the video this time started to talk about the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus and so on. And all, everyone was all in together. And I was sat there kind of looking around and a family was on the row on the end uh, to me. And it was a couple and a child, probably about Reuben's age at that time, so about two years old. And we just sat there and uh, I noticed that this boy was sort of playing with a little car and you know, whizzing up and down a bit. And then 
got a little bit restless, and then out of nowhere, uh, an old lady from, from around the back came and knelt down on the floor and just started playing with this little boy. And she sort of smiled at the parents, and they sort of nodded and smiled back at her, and she just played. And towards the end of the meeting, there, there was this moment, sort of response moment, um, like we would typically have, and a picture was brought to the front by one of the little girls who'd been in the meeting. And this little girl, um, must have been between 5 and 11, had drawn a mountain and had put a person on the top and drawn the people and had told her dad that this, these were all the people that each one of us could reach with the gospel. And the whole, the whole room was like, wow. And I, I was there going, what? <laughs> he just drew that? But God had got hold of this girl from, she wasn't, she was, I saw her. She was like drawing. She wasn't necessarily facing the speaker the whole time or the video, but she'd picked up enough to know that God had sort of given her this picture to draw. I was like, this is really interesting. And so I was encouraged and I was inspired and I decided to find out more. And so I spoke to the guy next to me, who's called Trent, and he explained more about this culture and how this had come about, that actually they started to recognize that when they were one, God was um, really drawing every age group into the service, into the family meeting when they got together. And he described a bit more about the transition, and I'll talk about that in future um, weeks. And then I spoke to some of the children um, who'd been growing up in the church, and they were like seven, eight, nine, uh, ten years old, and... I said, oh, what's this like then? Because you don't go out and the talk and better. And they said, oh, um, well, it's just what we grew up with. It's kind of what we do. And I was like, okay. Uh, you know, when you were little, what kind of kept you here? And they said, well, there was this guy called Bert. And he would always bring Werther's Originals. And at the end of the service, we'd go and find Bert. And he'd give us a Werther's Original. And I was like, aha, uh-huh, bribery. Got it. Uh, but, no. but that was just a little anecdote from one of them and uh, and... Uh, it was fascinating just to hear them talk about it. It was just what they did. It was a culture. And since then, I've spoken to more of that church and other church leaders, and uh, I'd begun to learn more about this family culture. And so getting to September 2021, uh, I came back to church, and uh, we were meeting in person, we were indoors, and uh, it just came to me sort of a sense of timely opportunity. Post-pandemic, when so much had been shaken up and changed, I began to grow in faith for this vision that I'm going to share with you shortly. Um, and I shared it with the eldership team. And so on my return to sabbatical, I was talking to those guys, and I was talking um, to others in the office, and I talked to Claire and discovered that, um, unbeknown to me, Claire um, had also been talking to God. <laughs> I mean, she does, doesn't she, a lot of the time. But I said to Claire, oh, what's God been saying to you the last couple of months? And very astutely, she said to me, what's God been saying to you the last couple of months? And so I shared a bit of this, what I sensed God had been saying. And her heart kind of leapt because she'd sensed something of a similar theme coming through regarding parents and children and family and encouraging family. And so I was really delighted about that. And then September went through and then we got to December 2021. And we had another prophetic picture also from Claire, which described King's Church as a ship traveling uh, to the Arabian Gulf, but rather than going through the shortcut, which was the Mediterranean passage that way, uh, the ship was told to go all the way around the outside and through choppy waters. And at the time, we thought, oh gosh, yeah, this next six months, seven months is going to be choppy waters. And, and it was kind of felt like that. It did feel like that um, over time. But one particular part of that picture was about all hands on deck, 
needing everyone to get involved and everyone having something to bring and everyone having uh, an opportunity to serve in one kind of way or another. And that's been the case. We've seen people rise up and serve on teams. We've seen um, Nathan's come through to his fully-fledged youth leader status. But among others, uh, he has served and made our meetings happen. And, of course, we, we said goodbye to Tim and Carrie, and that was a huge loss for us in terms of love and service that he and Carrie brought. Um, but actually, we've stepped into that. And it is all still all hands on deck. People have still offered me help in recent weeks, and I'm grateful for that because I, <laughs> I do need it. And this part of the picture was choppy water, and, and one of the phrases from that picture was this. Uh, Claire said, he told me that we don't become good sailors by sailing on calm water. And that's still resonating for me. It's like, well, it, it's, uh, it's a bit like Sarah was saying in her testimony. If you became a Christian and you thought it was all going to be calm water, rainbows, uh, and so on, well, actually, no, it, it's not. It's graft. Uh, God puts a grittiness in you by the Holy Spirit and a persistence in you as well to push through hard times because of who he is, trusting on him more in, and putting our faith in him more and more. And so drilling into that theme um, of, of the ship and then into church's family, I realized actually these two relate to one another. So the distance and the time spent on the, the, the ship is probably related to the distance and the time it's going to take uh, to, to grow into church as family, as a culture. And it might feel like choppy waters at, at times. Culture shifts don't happen overnight. It doesn't happen just like that. It might be a bit clunky, but I believe we will see it emerge over time. And we actually already are in some respects. I think God's calling us into a new way of doing things. And it might prove to be harder, take longer than anticipated. It'll take commitment and sacrifice, but it will produce fruit that will give him glory. I just want to tell you that. I just want to encourage you with that. That okay, okay, there might be some things that we find challenging, but there will be fruit from this. And we will see disciples made, strong disciples, disciples that are older among us, might be refined by this process. But disciples who are younger among us will be molded in the forge. And I just want to encourage you that that's, that's something God's really pressed upon me, that it, it might be hard, but it'll be good. Now, if we come up to date, January in 2022, recent history, um, God has really uh, got us on course for this, I believe. Since 2022 started, the shape and the vibe of our church has kind of changed. So you might have noticed um, people have gone on to new adventures and babies have been born. Uh, these things have all happened in the last few months, and it's fantastic. We've actually got, um, I'm just glancing at Claire right now, 14 noughts of fours uh, who are going to be among us. I'm going to say that again. 14 naught to fours. That's like a football team and three subs. Like, that is phenomenal. That's a generation. That's a generation of children who you get to be part of the lives of because you're their church family. And I'm already finding myself saying this to Reuben and Jeddy is, right, this Sunday, we're going to go and see our church family. And at the moment, they're like, yay, <laughs> which is great because they love to come. And then Reuben comes here and, and then Jeddy falls asleep. It's great. But they, they're getting it. They're getting the vibe. They're getting a sense of it. And I'll talk more about that next week. But God has been doing this subtly. He's been impressing it upon me. And uh, he's been saying, come on, it's time to consolidate. It's time to go deeper with your relationship with God. And it's time to go deeper with your relationships with one another, to become tighter knit. And so for these next six talks, I'll be talking about church as family quite a lot, all the different aspects 
Um, and I want to encourage you in this because we, we're on this journey and it is different. And uh, we're really grateful for the things God's doing and, and what he will do in the future. And I want to invite you to be part of it. And uh, I want to invite you to come every week here and, and worship. Maybe even leave the phone in the car. <gasps> you can do that just for a minute. Just, leave, just for an hour and a half. Leave the phone in the car. Just like get away from the world. Come in for a moment. I want to invite you to come here and worship. Come to, to life group. To grow in the things of the spirit. That's what we're doing this term. Uh, go deeper in our relationships with one another. They're the two aims of our life groups this term. I want to invite you to come and pray with us once a month. As we did last Tuesday, we had a fantastic prayer meeting. We had a fantastic time in God's presence together. And I want to invite you to be knitted in, if not already, or further knitted in to the King's Church family. And so that's the story <laughs> from like two years ago. And that's what God's been putting on my heart for all this time. I'm sorry if I haven't articulated it fantastically well, but that is definitely the, st the journey I've been on. And um, I'm going to do the second half of the, of the message in a moment, but I just want to give you a moment to absorb that and just take a brief, deep breath, um, myself as well. Um, so I'm just going to pause for sort of a minute, just, just give you a moment, just to maybe you want to just sit silently, or you, you might want to just talk to God about that briefly, um, and then we'll get into part two. Okay, go. Father, I thank you for that journey. Thank you that we've been on the ship together, that we're still on the ship together and you're driving it. We thank you, God. I thank you for helping articulate that. I pray you'd sow the seeds now, Lord, that you'd grow the saplings in people's hearts for that vision, for that uh, church as family to take, take root. And I pray for the next part of this talk that you would help me articulate it well and, and again, speak to us by your spirit. Amen. Okay, <laughs> good moment of pause there. So um, part two is really about a way of summarizing what I think God is calling us into. And uh, it's based on three words. Now, who has heard of what three words? Anyone heard of that? Yep. So what three words, very clever system. They've taken the whole uh, nation and they've split it up into three meter squares and they've given it three words uh, per square. And so I looked up some of the words for this place. Uh, which you might like to be interested in. Three words they used were broken, woven zebras. Uh, another three words they used were public spicy cubs. But I think you probably agree, none of those really describe who we are. But when I went on their website, they, they summarized their, their mission, as it were, or what they want to do on What Three Words app. They say they want to make it the easiest way to talk about location using just three words. And they want to use just three words what three words, sorry, so people never get lost again. And so to summarize what I think God's calling us into, what I believe he's called us into now, I've used three words, um, at, and you might have seen them before. They're on our website. 
And I really hope that these three words become the easiest way to talk about our destination. And I really pray that these three words enable each of us never to get lost again. So I have ripped off what three words, but I think it's for a good purpose because as we're bound together in Christ by the Spirit for the Father's glory, I want us to be able to summarize who we are with just these three words. And so the three words are loving, authentic family because it's out of who we are as God's chosen people, as his true family, that we will do all sorts of things. But I felt it was important to emphasize the who rather than the do to start with. And so the first one I've expanded on a little bit more, but the other two are quite brief. Um, But the first word there is loving. So why did I choose loving? Well, focusing on love and being loved and loving others brings us right back to the gospel. It brings us right back to Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith, who gave up his life for us, who died for us. And uh, loving him enables us to love others and one another even more, particularly those who don't yet know the gospel, as Sheila mentioned in her testimony. She's just simply loving people, giving them the opportunity to find out about Jesus. And uh, there's a summary of this really in 1 John 4 and 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. God first loved you before you did anything, before you could express anything, before we could move even. He loved us. It's an incredible gospel. Again, at our prayer meeting, Dale just said, it's a ridiculous gospel in a really loud voice. And it was great to hear him say it because it truly is ridiculous that God would love his creation so much that he would die for them and be raised to life again. And if you're here for the first time, you need to know God really does love you, even if you have no idea who he is. Even if you've never met him, stick around, hear more. But for those of us who do know Jesus, well, we can choose to be the ones who make him our first love, our first affection in life every day. And if we are to become true family together, we do, uh, who love one another, we've got to make sure that Jesus is our top priority, our top love. And uh, I believe it's time to go deeper into God's heart for this. I want to encourage you to seek a new level of depth with Jesus. And that, that starts by asking him, Jesus, please, I want to go deeper with you. I want us to have an increased awareness of the transcendence and power of his resurrection. I want to see miracles. I want to see people raised from the dead. Don't you want to see that? That would be amazing. That's what I want to call us into. I want us to do that together. Seek new levels of depth. But as we go deeper, I think it's, it's really important to ask ourselves that question again. It's an uncomfortable question to ask. What is my first love? What is of utmost importance and as we reflect on that, I, I do believe we'll find the answer in the spirit because it's a heart question. It's not, it's, it's not really that tangible. And you might have been prompted to ask it before, but it's significant for us today. After all that's happened in the last couple of years, it's a significant moment. And all the time in the world that we're in, the flesh, the earth, everything around us takes good things and distorts them and tries to make them into God things. Satan, the enemy of God, tries to do this all the time. He'll try and make your focus on anything but Jesus. It could be a habit or a person or uh, food. It could be anything. It could be material. And this isn't a new concept. There's nothing new under the sun. Thomas Chalmers wrote a sermon once called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in it, his basic point is this, that if you're hooked on one thing, that is your top affection, 
you'll never really be able to break free from that until you displace it or replace it with something that's bigger or better. Now, has anyone ever read or watched or been in Wind in the Willows? Have you been in that? I was a weasel once. I confess that to you. Uh, I was a weasel in Wind of the Willows, not a top role. But my mate, Joe, he was Toad. If you remember Toad, he was a great, a great character. Now, Toad, in the story of Wind in the Willows, he, he gets a horse and cart, and he's like merrily going along with his horse and, cart, a horse and cart, and he loves it, spouting all about it. And then, zoom, along comes a motor car, shaking the cart, knocking it off the road. The horse gets all upset. Toad falls to the mud, and then he's all dizzy. And then he goes, what was that wonderful machine? And he's suddenly besotted by a motor car. He has experienced the expulsive power of a new affection. He has had one thing that he has loved, the horse and cart, and it has been taken out by the motor car. And that's just one example. If you've seen that, you'll know what I mean. But Thomas Chalmers, this, uh, this preacher, he goes on to explain that for the Christian, rescue and recovery of the heart for God can only take place if we displace and dis- dispel whatever has taken his place in our heart before now. And we are to put Jesus and the gospel and his glory back where they ought to be before we can start trying to love anyone else. And so we're going to aim to be loving, and we, we won't get it right all the time. We'll make mistakes. We'll hurt each other. And, I, you know, I've made mistakes. I, even recently, I've experienced the pain of, uh, of not being loving and, and how that's affected someone. And, but the key thing about family as well is that they can get back in the room. We can get back in the room. When we mess up, we can talk about this stuff. We can be honest and hold our hands up. I, I'm teaching my sons. The bravest thing you can do is hold your hands up and say, I got it wrong. And we can learn to do that because of what Jesus has done. We can forgive and go again. And we mustn't fear those moments because those moments of fear are cast out by the perfect love of Jesus. And so we're going to aim to be loving. And to do that, we must be changed by the gospel again. We must experience the expulsive power of this new affection, in a sense, of Jesus Christ again and again. That's the first one, loving. The second word is authentic. This one's shorter. Now, I chose it because it points us back to the gospel. You probably saw that coming. But it does. It takes us back to the gospel again. Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us so that we could be free, so that we could be authentic and true, our true self is the self found in Christ. And we live in a world of confusion. We live in a world that doesn't know who it is or what it is. And everyone's walking around going, who am I? Who are you? And they're trying to find ways of defining it. And it's leading people to confusion, anxiety, and stress. But we get to be different. We get to give God glory by being who he says that we are. His sons, his daughters, his heirs, his family. We are authentically part of his family, adopted in Christ. We're those who walk that line of sinner and saint, sinners who are imperfect, afflicted by the flesh, who mess up all the time, but we're also saints. We're redeemed, we're accepted, we're loved, and we commit to obeying Jesus' voice and his word every day. And our new identity sets us free to be those people who Christ has called us to be. Whereas before that happens, the enemy distorts a person's understanding of their identity as a human, distorts it so that they would never consider 
coming to Jesus. And that's what we're battling against in prayer, against the principalities and powers of the world. And I know what this is like because I had this experience as a child and as a teenager growing up. I was anything but authentic. I would go around wearing masks, metaphorically, to try and impress people, to try and be who people wanted me to be. And that was all to try and get affirmation. My first love before I met Jesus was people liking me. And it's a bit like a, a bad, bad 70s movie where the zombie comes back to life from time to time because occasionally I fall for it again. And I have to put it back down and go, no, I, that isn't my first love. I don't have to have people to like me. I have Jesus who loves me. He's my security. But before I became a Christian, before I was born again, I fell for this in a big way. But when I heard the gospel, I gave it all to Jesus, handed it all over to him, and he took it on the cross. And I remember the next day I woke up uh, on this Christian camp, Soul Survivor, Somerset, and I remember thinking, I can finally be me. I can finally be, finally be a bit of a loon and not mind if people don't like it or not. I can finally be just a bit silly and that's okay. Like, that's just, that's okay. Because <laughs> of Jesus. Because he loves me, because he loves me, because he loves me. It, oh, I was such a freedom to be found. I was authentic. I was, I was there. And over the years, God steered me through it because occasionally you fall for it again. Oh, who am I? Oh, I've forgotten. Oh, I better do that for that person. Oh, I better do that for that person. I better say yes and never say no. No, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not who I want to be. I want to be this person who can, can be loved by Christ and be content. You can believe the truth that I am enough as I am in Jesus. And that's where I want us to go as a church family. King's Church can be, is to be a place where no one need wear a mask, where anyone who comes through that door is welcomed and loved and it's to be real. It's to show emotion. It's to be honest about who we are. And once again, our Savior Jesus models this authenticity brilliantly, doesn't he? In the Gospels, he's real, he's tough, and he's tender at times. He's not afraid to show his emotions. He's willing to be gracious and compassionate for sharing the truth. Grace and then truth with Jesus every time. And he's robust when he's expressing what God has called him to do. And so we'll aim to be authentic, but we must be changed by the gospel again. Secure in Jesus, his eternal love and relationship. And so the final one before we do communion is family. So we've got loving, authentic family. And uh, I haven't been able to escape church family as a theme the last two years. And then once again, it's the foundation of being a church family is found in the gospel. You're probably seeing that all of these are linking back to the gospel, the gospel-centered nature of authentic, love, loving, authentic family. Jesus describes his purpose uh, in Ephesians 2, 15 to 18. Paul writes about it, sorry. He says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. He's talking about Gentiles and Jews. That's making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So at the cross, Jesus radically changes who we are. He forgives us and changes our, our identity. And we are now one in him. We're called to be united in this new identity and further called to be together and be one with access to the Father. And 
I want to be really sensitive with this particular word because I don't know everybody's um, background and history with biological family. I don't know whether your family were kind to you or, or not. I don't, know, I don't know everybody's story. But again, I just really want to be sensitive about this because I'm not trying to change that. You can't change yesterday, as my uncle says, just this last week. But we can be sensitive to it. And we can ask, what was family like for you? And listen and experience and learn about one another. And my hope and prayer is that when you... As you knit into King's Church family, you'll experience something new. You'll experience something different in this place and time. Now, I'm just going to uh, conclude this one with a, a quote from Jesus from John 17, because again, he's prayed for us about this. It always gives me confidence when Jesus has prayed something for us already. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's his disciples at the time. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Simply, we are aiming to be one family. We are aiming to be true family in God whose oneness gives him glory and becomes irresistible to everyone around. And how will we become true family? Well, we will do it by being changed again by the gospel, individually and corporately. That's the common how between the three words. And so today I do want to invite you on that journey as we set out on it, using these three words, getting into church as family as a series. Uh, I want to invite you to come with us um, and pursue God. <laughs> Simply pursue God for, for this. And uh, if I have articula articulated anything unhelpfully or in a wrong way, please do come and see me. Like, I'm happy to have conversations to talk some more about church as family. You could talk to your life group leader. You could talk to one of the other elders as well. Um, but it's something that I really do sense God has stirred me to in a powerful way. And I wouldn't be telling you this if he hadn't. I've spent many, many times in the last two years going, is this all my idea? Because if it's not, let's not do it. But I really do sense God's heart, presence, and his love for us in this as we come out of some turbulent times and possibly into even more turbulent ones we'll have to wait and see. And we may not have a five-point plan. In fact, we don't. So far, we've all, all we've got is a three-word destination. <laughs> That's all we've got so far. And we don't have the exact route. We don't have all the details. But our Father knows that. He already knew who'd be here today. He already knew that we're, where we're heading. He already knows, as we've seen in the past, that we, he wants to keep us focused on the gospel, which is our firm foundation. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to celebrate this moment now together um, as a church uh, family. And uh, we're just going to do it in little subgroups of sort of three or five and uh, we've got communion here, and Judy's going to kindly put some music on in a moment. And uh, there's gluten-free, non-alcoholic wine there as well. And it's an invitation, really, to, to reflect on some of the stuff I've said, but please don't reflect on things that I say. Please reflect on the gospel. When you take communion, remember Jesus. Thank him for his love, his authenticity. Thank him for the fact that we are here together because he instructed it, and we are a family. Let's thank him for those things. So uh, bless you guys. Once you've taken communion, please 
don't wait for me to come back up. I'm not going to come back up, in fact. I'm not going to come and formally close the meeting. I'd rather we just naturally met, uh, prayed, took communion, and then, then dispersed and had tea and coffee after that. And, and also pray for Zoe as well, because we want to make sure we do that as well. So find a couple of